0: on today's episode of the Naha show we have my good friend Sarah Harf we talk about her journey into entrepreneurship and starting Mooncloth which is a really interesting um, company and they're doing something really interesting with hemp so hope you guys really enjoyed the conversation as uh, I did (laughs) and here it is Do I, Sarah, do I even say your name like your last name correctly? I don't even know. It's been so long.
1: Harf, yes. <laughs>
0: Perfect. And uh, yeah, today we're going to talk with Sarah about her journey to starting Mooncloth, where it's going to go, what she's envisioning for it, and a little bit of a background. Sarah and I met in about 2015-ish. Yeah, doing some uh, innovation work and
1: in Apple and in Cisco. Um, so we're doing some big projects there. Um, after factory, I, so I, my background is in creative design, project management, um, you know, creative strategy, both digital and physical. So I, I have kind of a digital background as well when it comes to strategy and branding um, and, you know, go to market strategies for products kind of in marketing spaces online. So anything you think digital, I've touched, whether it's video, apps, photography, marketing campaigns. Um, And then I also have a physical background, which is products, Uh, packaging design, product innovation. And then in that time frame, I, yeah, I learned all about the financial system and understanding, you know, just banking from a digital point of view. Um, Was really unhappy, really miserable, really unhappy, wasn't sure what I was going to do. I knew I had all this great experience and I wanted to do something that I could do better things for the world and like really bring my heart and soul and all my diverse background into something that I really cared about. Um, you can call it your purpose. You can call it something, but I just, I knew I, I had something bigger beyond me. Um, so I took some, I took some time off. I traveled quite a bit. um,
0: But uh, Sarah, what have you been up to in the last, I don't know, five years? Like, let's just condense it to 30 seconds.
1: (laughs) Oh, man. Um, Yeah, I mean, we met working in an innovation team, in fact, with Factory back in San Francisco. Um, We were working with Nike. Cannabis legalization had just kind of started in like 2016. Um, And growing up in Sonoma, which means Valley of the Moon, which is a big part of why I named Mooncloth, Mooncloth, was to kind of give... um, you know, the, the connection to can't grow anything without the moon. So it's a very important yeah. aspect to, to the world. Um,
0: Wait, Sarah, before we yeah. dive even deeper, we should probably just tell everybody what exactly moon cloth is. Yeah,
1: there. <laughs> and so moon cloth, you know, with all that in mind and with cannabis kind of starting, I saw this entryway for hemp textiles and industrial mm. hemp. So I kind of knew that hemp was really going to be the thing that starts Um, kind of going way beyond cannabis and in CBD kind of took over, but it's still now coming back to industrial hemp. Um, And it's one of the main things that can really change our world to bring more sustainable solutions. So started Mooncloth really focused on that, you know, bringing more ecological solutions to the table um, and using hemp textiles and hemp seed oil as you know materials and formulation um, ingredients to be more sustainable. Yeah, I started that journey like 2017, essentially launched 2018-ish, but you know had already kind of set up supply chain and all that. Um, it's it's a miracle plant; it can really do a, a lot. And I think it's it's so education is is so terrible. There's a lot of people just don't know what industrial hemp is um, at a core level, but also the thousands of applications it can have. You know? mm. And I think that's kind of where I stand as a you know, founder and CEO of a company, but also really trying to bring more sustainability into our world and options to the table. Um, hemp is a carbon negative crop. It uh, absorbs more carbon than it does produce. So you can produce So kind of like my background of innovation world and creative agency and branding, I really felt like there was a a story that needed to be told with hemp and I needed to create a lens that was more elevated. So that's how Mooncloth kind of came to start. It's definitely evolved and changed as the years have evolved as far as our focus. But um, at a core level, that's that's really where we're still at is bringing more sustainable hemp-based, industrial hemp-based products to the table.
0: Okay, nice. No, that's super interesting. And uh, I think, I feel like there's a term, I don't know if you've heard it. Have you heard of ikigai?
1: No, I haven't.
0: Yeah, so it's a Japanese term and it, it's uh, basically kind of, there's like these concentric circles. It's always circles. Yeah. And <laughs> and in the middle, right, is like ikigai and it's your reason for being. And in a sense, I feel like you you probably hit that journey of like, what is my reason for being, right? Where Where you can marry your passion, with your job, with your finances, and then all of that kind of comes together. And that is like your ikigai, right? It's your reason for being. So, so in a sense, I feel like, you know, you've, you're getting there or you are there. And um, it's interesting that you, the question came out in your own life journey, right? Versus like looking at other cultures and seeing the terms of, you know, how they live and how they think about wellness, uh, which is, is really cool. I mean working in the financial sector, you know, what do you mean not helping people money?
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was just it was just a really extreme thing to go from factory, you know, working in Berlin with doing Cisco, you know, supply chain innovation <laughs> to sitting at a cubicle at Charles Schwab for a year. So, um, but yeah, it gave me the lens that I needed, you know, I would say I kind of been lucky to have a career that I've had such diverse exposure to a brand, if you just take like a word and how many applications it can go into. You have Mm -hmm. digital, Facebook, Instagram, videos, product, like wherever it lives, right? I've touched that whole ecosystem um, in different ways throughout my career. And the financials, Charles Schwab, was just an interesting thing to see from a compliance point of view. So I was focused on, I was in internal at the creative agency internal. So it was kind of my, I'd say it was my my last big um, corporate consulting gig that I did was with them. I did some little freelance gigs here and there to kind of, as I was starting Mooncloth to keep funding it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, bootstrap is a thing. I, you really have to hustle and you have to want it so bad. And I, at a, at a, you know, when days are good and days are dark, it's, do you really believe in what you're doing? And do you really believe that you're helping to provide solutions to um, a problem? Back to your your purpose question. I I think Mooncloth is a part of my journey. I don't think it's my purpose though. I think okay. my purpose is is much more I would say elegant as far as like creating beauty and connecting nature to those you know creating more harmony with nature through functionality um I yeah I'm an artist as well I also have always painted I've always that's kind of been my my passion is art um but I don't want to make money from my passion sometimes so yeah it's kind of a, a very clear way that I can bring my creative, you know, lens and juices to the table. Then I also have my like very strategic analytic strategy side. And I had never been on a project or, you know, working with a client that allowed me to tap both at the same time.
0: Okay. So when
1: I got that through the company I had started, it, it just felt so right. Cause I was really being challenged. Um, I find myself, Sometimes, you know, when working in different clients, I'm not I'm not challenged enough. I'm not learning, I'm not growing. I'm just kind of helping them get to their goal but I'm not I'm presenting them my knowledge versus me learning from them sometimes. And I feel like everyone's got something to learn and but being able to throw myself into a whole different industry and bring some of my background to it was is challenging. Um and it's exciting.
0: Nice. And kind of in between that period of like looking at what you should do next or, you know, what was the next opportunity, how did you just or really just learn more about hemp and then start to kick off that idea
1: yeah I you know it's funny I um growing up in Sonoma I was around cannabis for many years um I was always kind of not into it as far as it being a business and you know I still see it as a pretty you know dark market it's it's not you know it's like it's it's a drug. It's alcohol. It's, I think pharmaceuticals will come in at some point. I think things are going to change very quickly. And I wasn't interested in it, but I did have a very, you know, I had done some work with Flo Canna. They're a very kind of, you know, big, you know, cannabis cultivation group now. Um, and I'm very close with Flavia, who is the, you know, I would say one of the co founders and wife of Mikey, who started it, cannabis or hemp, and you could bring your background to it. And I remember that moment with her saying, I don't want to do anything in cannabis. And she's like, what about hemp? So it was kind of like, you know, when you're in your journey, you start to get little hints and little, I don't know, little flags that come up like, okay, you should go down, like dig, dig that, dig down that path a little bit more. So I, I ended up doing a lot of research on just like the history of industrial hemp and what it was used for and what it was really like, what's its superpowers, um, It was all industrial, you know. It was Henry Ford's first car was built and fueled by hemp. Um, They used to use it in all World War II. A lot of the you know uniforms, the military were made from hemp. So there's just a lot of deep history in our world, and to me, that blew my mind. That blew my mind that we're not using it anymore. Um, And now with our technology innovation, there's so much more it can do. Um, You know, we were using it decades ago as, as an amazing thing. And now that we have, you know, the 21st century of technology innovation, it's going to be something that I think is just so powerful and can bring a lot of green solutions to our, you know, climate change world that we need.
0: Yeah, definitely. And in terms of the textile usage or or industrial usages, how easy or like in your research, how easy would it be to basically take that as a kind of like primary source and almost replace for instance, like cotton, right, into the supply chain? Would it be, is it hard? Is it already, is there another extra steps that need to be taken? Or is it kind of like you can do one for one almost?
1: I don't want to replace cotton. Um, I I want to be able to, you know, we're doing a lot of cotton blends right now that make it really soft. Um, I just want more options on Mm. the table. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, organic cotton is not as bad. There's wool, there's silk, there's tons of alternative, more sustainable Um, textiles that are out there. The problem is the petroleum-based textiles. You know, that is all synthetic materials, polyester, all all the synthetic, you know, that's made with fuel. So it's super toxic. You know, textiles are probably the numbers, the second largest um, toxic industry, and people don't even know that. So it's really an issue. Um, Those are the ones that I'd like to tap into more. But for cotton, you know, we can use cotton as far as um, a blend. So it's really about getting all the players on board to want to bring this back, but there was a reason why they banned it for the first place. So I think it's understanding that history and then being able to, you know, present it as an opportunity to some of these existing markets.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's, it's crazy. Cause I have so many questions, like from like a sustainability standpoint uh, in terms of how much nutrition or, or, you know, nutrients it takes to fully grow it. And what is the process like to get to the end of that? Um, I don't know if you want to touch on that a little bit, and then we can just dive right back into the journey again. But I'm just like, wow, like, if it's so, there's so many uses, let's just keep going.
1: (laughs) Well, it becomes, you know, as far as machinery, it does take different machinery to to decorticate, which is like stripping the plant and getting to the fiber. But Um, You know, China and Japan, we essentially sold all our our machinery to them um, after the war. So they have a lot of the the capabilities. China has some of the best hemp textile production in the world. Um, They've been doing it as like a legacy crop for a long time. Um, But in the U.S., yeah, we just need to invest to get some of that machinery back. And it's happening. Um, There's other machinery styles that are popping up and and other innovation. Um, You know, hemp takes three times faster than any other crop. So it can be paper. You can, you know, we don't, we don't need trees anymore. We can do paper, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, You can get three times fiber yield per crop than cotton and it grows extremely fast and it takes less water and less land. So you're already seeing the benefits of why it's important. And because it has that carbon capture, which is like really important, um, especially right now. It produce, you know, it's a carbon negative crop, so it can capture more negative carbon than it does produce it, which is powerful. And that's a big, you know, climate change solution is that we just need to kind of clean up our soils a little bit more. Yeah, but we're seeing it all over the world. You know, I feel like, I kind of joke with some of our investors and some other friends, it's like the US is a little slow to the table. So we need to kind of ramp up here if we're gonna, cause we have, I think the most opportunity to do it here as well.
0: Oh, very cool. And then in terms of uh, what were your next steps? So you were diving in head deep, doing a lot of research, and you're like, you know, hemp is really interesting. There's a lot of history behind it. There's a lot of uses. What was the first step to take in order to realize what you wanted to do in, in that space?
1: I, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't find um, a brand or a product that I felt was elevated and sophisticated, you know, coming from a design Kind of world and, and having you know an aesthetic and a style and a taste and had you know have worked with some of the most like world class designers, I, I couldn't see a brand out there that I felt like was elevated and kind of changing the narrative of what hemp is. Even you know from a CBD industry, you know that's not the real industry. That is a, a part. That's a byproduct of industrial hemp. It's not even the real thing. And I felt like just the narrative wasn't changing. Um, so in, in order to really create a shift in the lens of like what Industrial hemp is I felt like I had to create a brand that was elevated in, into the direction that I wanted it to go um, So I really focused on its sustainability um, You know in the hierarchy of, of branding. I kind of put sustainability as the top is like educating people from that lens mm-hmm. um, and creating a sophisticated brand that I felt like, you know, could I get People to want to buy, you know, and, and what are those products and what does that look like? Um, so I ended up launching a, a marketplace. So it was, you know, 2016, no, 17, 18, even 17, not 18, but it was a e-commerce marketplace um, focused on, we curated around 40 different brands, all hemp lifestyle. So it had, you know, textiles to home goods, to body wellness. We were essentially the first, you know, hemp style kind of life marketplace, now that there's, there's a few big ones now, but it's funny when I look back, cause it's like, we were the first ones, but I, I just knew that was going to be a really hard model to fundraise on mm-hmm. and get investors behind us. Um, and I always felt like, I feel a little differently now, but I, at that point, I had always felt like I'd wanted to be in the, the system of fundraising to get connected to some of these bigger brands to bring these options to the table. Cause I knew I couldn't do that alone, but if I had, you know, not necessarily the money but the connections through the investors and the t- to elevate that world um so yeah I, I through kind of our like technology and innovation world i i met with a lot of people and they all kind of told me don't fundraise on that model so what's the business model mm-hmm. so i had to kind of go back to the table and like really outline the business model and, like how you're going to make money like what is the point of this and i don't think being an entrepreneur is all about making money but it's definitely about sustaining yourself um and creating jobs for not only you but you know people around you so what does that look like um so that was kind of a big you know question um and uh, it was also a time you know so we kind of had that and then was fundraising more on the consumer line so the idea of launching a hemp home space collection so which i still is gonna i'm still gonna do it and it's still gonna happen one of these days but really taking the concept of textiles and putting them into your home for more sustainable, you know, organic solutions. There's other brands out there that do it, but they mostly just use cotton.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And cotton is not the, you know, the best option. There's other options out there. Um, it's just hard. It's really hard to fundraise. Um, it's, you know, it's yeah. I think every founder and entrepreneur would say it's probably the worst part of the job
0: Yeah.
1: is, is fundraising. Um, But I ended up securing, you know, a small seed round and then really with the notion of going B2B. So if I could get bigger brands, so we kind of changed the whole model to go for um, going after bigger brands. And that was a time where I did some consulting work with hotels um, and I saw that there was really this greenwashing problem in the hospitality industry wanting to be sustainable, using it as a marketing deploy, but not really being sustainable. So then I, yeah, our, our, one of our dear mentors, Andrew Gibson, I had a call with him and he got really behind us because he had worked in all these big hotels and had saw that there was a problem. So that was kind of the first door I would say to an industry that I felt like I could navigate into to sell textiles to. Um, and, and the idea of marketing hemp in a sophisticated, elegant way, um, so we pivoted the company in 2018, July 2018. Um, we incorporated. We we went for it. I had closed a small seed round, um, really on the notion of B two B, and then continuing to the e to the e commerce kind of consumer lens at some point. But wanted to get a few big brands behind us first. Um, I got so House hospitality is our first big client. We did all of their downtown LA uh, warehouse location uh, featuring hemp textiles. Um, Big, big, big project, big client, uh, terrifying, (laughs) great at the same time. Um, Yeah, and we delivered it and the hotel opened up a year later. That project has now been in vogue, Dwell, all the big magazines um, featuring Mooncloth as a name. So it kind of was a case study to showcase that there is a demand here. But at the end of the day, Invest, it's just, it is like investors are really hard to navigate. I don't have a VC background. I, I also don't really have that many friends in VC. So it's, it's hard for me to navigate that stuff. I had a lot of help. Um, but I think people were so, I think the timing was just off as far as people not understanding industrial hemp and the opportunity. And they were so focused on CBD, um, which now we're seeing the the downfall of that, which is, you know, great to see, because I feel like we need to be investing in industrial hemp, um and we do get it from time to time. Um, I've always had help. I, I love working in teams. I, my ideas are better when I'm working with other people. I, you know, my, my whole background is working in creative teams. So for er- very early days, um, I had you know one of our lead graphic designers, Kelsey Rono. She is a childhood best friend of mine. She did all the website, all the branding from day one um always you know having that dialogue with me i think it's very important to have um outside perspective and and to have a team even just one or two of you but you need to have that other person it's 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 super important um and then um my my co-founder now kelsey um she her and i are definitely a team and we work very closely together um we met in 2018 Brands and really wanted to make a shift and really liked what Mooncloth stand for. And at that time, I was ready to take the next step forward and knew, knew I needed a partner to do it with, a real one, and, and one that could commit and sacrifice as much as I've sacrificed and be willing, you know, to really. I think it's the one thing that people don't talk about is how much sacrifice it takes and how much commitment it takes um, to really see a vision through. And it also doesn't happen in a year. It doesn't happen in three years sometimes. It takes time to really um, do that dance. And so she's, she's been, we've been in it together. Um, you know, we kind of joke her and I are, are in our own relationship, and her and her husband are in her, their own relationship. So, you know, I, I'm so grateful for, for both of them. Um, and yeah, I, I wouldn't be able, Mooncloth would not be where it is today without all of the, the mentors and advisors and support group that we do have. I never saw Mooncloth as a I'm going to make a lot of money with this. This was always a I need to get this going. Um, other people might make a lot of money from it, but I'm going to use this as a stepping stone to get to this bigger conversation that I'm where I'm going.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, that's I think that's a good idea. And
1: we're, you know, pretty 50/50. Um, we got a lot of feedback on that and and negative. You know, a lot of investors don't want the team to be split. Um, but if you look at a successful business model, when you see a parachute or Cucina or any of these big brands, they're all selling B2B. I just went it from a different way. You know, I did B2B first, saw the success, used the profits from that to launch the consumer line. Um, it's a different way to go. It's more bootstrappy. I didn't have, you know, millions and millions of funding to do the e-commerce. Now we're seeing, you know... I know inside on both of those brands and you know, they're, everyone's struggling. It's really hard to build a big e-commerce flashy brand. That's going to make a lot of money. It's, it's, it's unrealistic. Um, and I think it's hard in home goods because you usually buy something actually I had, I had an investor that I, I, I really respect and I really love. Um, he, he didn't invest yet, but we're, we're close. And he said to me, he's like, Unfortunately, I need something that people can keep buying. Okay. Home decor—you buy one time. You might have a couch for 10 years. You know, when was the last time you replaced your bed sheets? You know, people buy stuff and they usually buy it one time or maybe every couple of years. But unfortunately, in order to scale and grow, you need products to be replenished. Um, so I, I had that in mind, but I didn't want that to be because of sustainability. I don't think people should keep buying and buying and buying. So what, what do you do? So the B2B was great because we're allowed, we're able to get really big POs um, and to bring alternative you know, materials to hotels. And you know, we just did a big project with an airline company doing all their you know, uh, refillable uh, glass bottle hand sanitizers um, using hemp seed oil as the base formula. Um, so I had to kind of find these other ways to keep replenishment contracts going. Um, where the consumer line just kind of helps support that. We're now in, you know, 10 boutique actually wholesale accounts we got during COVID. We launched our consumer line last November. So kind of a rough time to launch it in November. Usually in the, in the springtime, we were full speed ahead. We were ready to close another, you know, actually a million dollar round. We had all these POs lined up in Neiman Marcus, and you know, obviously they filed bankruptcy. So the consumer strategy had to shift very quickly um we had already had all this inventory ready to go and it's going you know it's actually going out the door in a little bit more manageable way there's only two of us full time i had to lay off um our other you know contractors because we didn't have the the project flow um it's amazing to sell to create a product that when you get it in the hands of the niche kind of market people love it and they want it so It's been selling and doing, you know, we get steady sales online. We have boutique, you know, we're not pushing it though. Um, So I think the consumer line is going to be an organic to really showcase, you know, that we could do this for you as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. And then why haven't you really pushed it? It takes money. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, definitely.
1: (laughs) I can't. And there's only two of us. So it's, it's more about, you know, having paid advertising, doing this, you know, it's like, yeah, there's a lot. digital, you know, people don't want to talk about it. digital marketing. You know, a lot of these big brands, you know, you don't hear much in the news about Away or Glossier right now because they spent, you know, over a million dollars on digital advertising. To me, those are trends. I want mm-hmm. to be a longevity brand. I'm going to be around for a long time, whether right. I'm running it or not. It's going to be around, and I feel like. The consumer lens—it was just always kind of a way for us to open up some doors a little bit more naturally by having a product. Um, If I can't really have the funds right now to build out the 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 online experience, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that it won't happen. It's just a different landscape right now with with COVID. COVID is also allowing our textiles to do a lot right now. Hemp is antimicrobial; it naturally can fight against viruses. So I'm really trying to leverage that right now into bigger hotel deals, airline deals, uh, BMW just used uh, a bunch of hemp in some of their projects. Um, we're kind of working with some of our investors in that way to educate other options on the table for mass industries.
0: Very interesting. Uh, just thinking, <laughs> but, uh, on, on like another, uh, thought that I had was in terms of reusability, how recyclable is hemp? So, you know, because you were saying like the investor was like, I need something people can continuously buy. Right. And so in in theory uh, you have like on running where they did that subscription shoe recently and you only have it for like a month and you give it back. Right. And in theory, it's kind of a piece that they can recycle down because the technology is finally there for it. So I'm curious, like how uh, reusable or easy is it to kind of take apart hemp and repurpose it?
1: I mean, from a textile, it's very durable. So the, it depends on what the product you're making from it. But when it comes to like home decor, you know, it's, it's not going to be something you want to replace. It's also expensive. So you want it to last if you're investing in a, you know, I don't want home decor to be fast fashion. Um, mm-hmm. But I think there's other opportunities like throughout the home decor as a wellness space, you know, having refillable shampoos, conditioners, product lines. Um, you know, these are all things that we do use in our day to day. You know, he really wants hemp paper towels and I'm all about that, but that's a whole other business that I I need to pitch um, another investor group to want to do. But, you know, and I actually have had a lot of, uh, I've done a lot of research in that actually. It's very doable, but, you know, I'm only one person. I need to (laughs) focus on what I've started and then maybe I'll migrate to other things. But um, yeah, I mean, our refillable amenities for hotels that we're doing right now, as far as um, shampoo, conditioner, hand wash, hand sanitizer, moisturizer those are all replenishable contracts that we're able to provide hotels we do the private label branded bottles we can do the formulas we have a lab in Oregon that we partner with to do all the certification for that Um, so that's a that's been a great um, additional service that we offer these bigger groups um, essentially private label amenities but for the home space we did launch this summer kind of a Out of interest to see if people will be into it as far as refillable home products, you know, refillable detergents, buying it, whether through a mobile, you know, we had a mobile tuk-tuk that we were driving around San Francisco, um, selling and distributing, uh, home products like hand soap and hand sanitizer. And, um, it went really well. Like a lot of people love it. They want it. They were like, they were signing up for subscriptions. Um, it's just a whole other business that I, I just don't have the bandwidth to do. Um. But it also allowed us to sell a lot of the inventory that I had. So it's sometimes like during these journeys, you start to see what works and what doesn't work. And sometimes if you know that stuff works, you just kind of keep it in the back burner until you're ready to activate it. But um, we ended up selling our Tuk-Tuk to Four Sigmatic. So they're the new proud owners of our little mobile shop, which is (laughs) great. nice uh we felt like it was the most responsible thing to do we we used it for what we needed it for it sold out a lot of our inventory and proved a concept that we felt like was needed and now i think we're going to see more brands get more innovative with their retail experience
0: nice no that's super cool it's it's great because you get to do like these micro experiments in a sense to see where the brand can go or see kind of what new items you want to play with and and i think that's really good right cuz i think if you look at any other large company that really innovates well or that expands very well. What they do is they do a bunch of tiny experiments, whether it's branded or unbranded and that allows them to kind of quickly get a feel for it. Right. And then ramp up to it with money, of course.
1: Honestly, that's like entrepreneurial one-on-one. Everything's an experiment. And I think that's where I've been really successful coming from, you know, seeing that like I was always on the agency side helping these, you know, we were helping these companies do experiments, right? You and I, especially at factory. Now being a founder and CEO of a company, doing those mini experience, you know, internally before really putting gas or being able to show it as a model and then go back to one of our investors, be like, this worked. Here's how. Will you fund it? Because you need real time and user feedback period. And if you don't get it, you don't know, you can't just sit behind your computer screen and hope your Instagram ads are going to work. I mean, it's just a different landscape now. And I, I personally think influencer and paid advertising is super saturated right now. Um, I mm-hmm. think consumers are super smart. I think they're sick of every single, every other photo on their Instagram being in advertising. Um, I've clicked on them cause I'm curious, but it's, you know, it's getting a little, you know, what's, what's next what's the new way to get sales. Um, and I think people are looking for more of that authentic connection.
0: Yeah, definitely. So you're saying the next thing you're going to build is an ad platform that is authentic connection.
1: (laughs) I'm not not building an ad platform. Um, no, I think, I think one of my, my big dreams is to, um, be a part of a, a large scale hospitality project that would serve as a, you know, sustainable, you know, hospitality experience through the moment you book to the moment you're in the shower, the moment you're at the, you know, the whole details of a hospitality experience, I think are really needed. Um, Mm -hmm. And we've just worked with so many different hotel players and I quickly see where they drop the ball. And it's sad that hospitality has changed quite a bit. Yeah, actually right before COVID, I was in London London, pitching my kind of my concept to one of our investor partners out there and he loved it. And then obviously COVID happened and he's like, this is going to have to wait another couple of years. I was like, okay. Um, (laughs) But I think there's a retail opportunity in the hospitality world that can be done very elegantly as well.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting how like COVID has reshaped everyone's strategies. For some people, it's probably solidified some of their strategies. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Nice.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, Sarah, I appreciate you walking us through this journey. Um, before we end, I always like to have a random question. And I never think of these questions before- beforehand. So <laughs> they're always like, I wonder what question I can ask during the interview or like that'll come later. So it's not related at all. Uh-huh. And so I think the question that I have for you is, where do you want to go once COVID is more manageable, right? Because I think even with the vaccine and even with whatever, it's kind of one of these things that they're saying it's almost like the flu. It'll stick around for a while. So once it's manageable, first place in America you want to go to, and then in Europe and in Asia and go.
1: Um, I think I'll probably end up renting a place for a couple, maybe like January and February, probably in Hawaii. Okay. This, this next year, I've already been, I've been really feeling called to Hawaii, um, we have a few projects out there as well that I've been working on. So I'm just curious about it.
0: Ooh, which island? Um, what? Which island?
1: I don't know yet. I'm open. It depends on, I've never really spent that much time in Hawaii. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm super open Wherever, Whatever whatever's meant to be. i just had, a, I've had a lot of uh, signals towards needing to spend more time in Hawaii. Um, okay. There's also a lot of, Really incredible recycled pineapple leather production. Hemp's out there as well. So I want to do some research on some of the different islands. Um, But yeah, I'd like to rent a place there for a few months. um, Okay,
0: let me know. Be right there. I
1: will. Um, And then Europe, uh, probably Portugal. I've been, I've been feeling really. I've spent a lot of time in Europe. I've traveled all around Europe um, by myself quite a bit. So. Portugal, I think would be a great, um, I'd love to buy property there, you know, a couple years from now. I'd love to understand it. I'd love to see the landscape. I have a few friends building hotels over there. So I think I have more, I have a lot of community there and I'd like to go see that. Um, in Asia, probably Japan. I've never been to Japan. And I think from a design point of view and just, you know, I would love to experience it. Um, it's also like an historic hemp you know, a situation there too. But for me, Japan as an art, the culture is art. You know, it has such a deep rooted legacy around some of their their ethos. Um, so yeah, those are probably my top three right now.
0: Perfect. Nice. So what I'm hearing is see you in Hawaii. Uh (laughs) Portugal's lovely. Uh, I've only been to Porto and Lisbon and both great places. Uh Japan is also great. Like there's just so much to see and do and and you know obviously if you like to eat there's good things to eat there.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm a, I'm a big skier as well. So I, I definitely, if I went to Japan, I probably need to do a couple weeks. Um, but I definitely want to do the, the onsens and the hot springs and, and ski quite a bit. Um, yeah. I'm fascinated with hydrotherapy and wellness. Mm-hmm. I'm from a water point of view. That's going to be a big part of my hotel project um, when I get there.
0: Nice. That's super cool. Yeah. Well, Sarah, it's been a pleasure as always. And, uh, it sounds like you know Mooncoth is on an upward trajectory even with the bumps and, and things along the way, but I think with the right education to the public and to businesses and things, it, it sounds like it does make a lot of sense. So I'm excited to see where this goes and uh, I'm sure we'll stay closer in touch this time, maybe not five years.
1: Yes, that sounds great.
0: And that was my conversation with Sarah. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Check out Mooncloth. See what she is up to, what products are there. And yeah, hope you guys uh, learned something new. Again, like, subscribe, rate as high as you can. And stay tuned for the next episode. See you guys around.